So we're reading from Mark 1, 16 to 45. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought Jesus, all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went out to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere.
Thanks, Frank. It's good to be with you and uh, to open up God's Word together. And uh, why don't we uh, jump straight on into it, this great passage that we have in uh, Mark chapter 1. You may want to open up your booklets to page 7, which has got our outline for this, uh, this week's talk. And while I'm on that, next, next two Sundays um, I'm, I'm away and David Wright, who is um, at the Bible College of SA, is coming up to preach, um, which is fantastic as well. Now, let me ask you, what are the top five reasons people don't have job satisfaction? I want to hear your answers. Put your hand up. What, what, what makes you not happy about your job? What would people say, do you reckon? Give me some answers. It's boring, yeah, okay. So toxic workplace, yep. The people you work with. Wage, yeah. There's a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, on the screen, um, the CNN uh, Money website did a big survey and came up with these top five reasons. And the one that was overwhelming, long hours and incompetent colleagues, um, there's four there, there's another one, but anyway, long commutes, but the overwhelming one was bad bosses, 69%. Bad bosses. People want to blame their bosses, maybe with uh, validity. Uh, and then the actual uh, website had a thing on what makes the bosses bad. They asked people, okay, you've said it's a bad boss is the problem. What makes them bad? What do you reckon makes bosses bad? What do you reckon? They're autocratic, yep. What else? Unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Yep. Well, there's a few here that are listed up. They're spineless and, and, and they kind of suck up to people. You're laughing because you know it's true. The Jekyll and Hyde boss. Uh, one moment they're really, really great. The next minute they're kind of stabbing you in the back. The raging narcissist. Now, that wouldn't be pleasant. Um, these people... A bit egomaniacs. The righteous do nothing boss. So they're kind of talking about how everything's fantastic, but they don't actually do anything themselves. The Dudley do wrong bosses who need to interact um, with those they manage um, very uh, poorly. Control freak on control freak on roids. You know the boss that just has to know everything and tell you everything that you're doing. What are you doing now? Oh, I'm I'm going to this meeting. I know what are you doing right now in these next two minutes, kind of boss that drives you crazy. And all these different types of bosses that absolutely frustrate us and don't give us job satisfaction. Mark's gospel. Jesus arrives on the scene and claims he's bringing in a new kingdom. He's claiming to be the big boss, not just of your work life, but of all of your life. He's claiming to be the boss, and we see that in verses 14 to 15 on the screen. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, today... Jesus shows that he has authority. He is actually to be the boss of all of your life, not just a part of it, the bit where you get paid. The question is, is Jesus someone who deserves authority over your life or do you want to put him in that 69% and consider him, he doesn't have authority over my life. He's not someone who I can consider to be one who should 
be the one in charge of me. And that's where this passage takes us today, I reckon. And there's lots that happens in it. If you were following on as we were reading it, there's the bit we did with the kids. He's calling them to be fishers of men. There's a whole bunch of moments where he says he just kept on teaching them and that would be the repent and believe the good news, the kingdom's coming. He's cast out impure spirits. He's healed Simon's mother-in-law. It's good of Simon to want his mother-in-law healed. There's many healings. Uh, there's uh, many demons are dealt with in one night. Uh, there's a man with leprosy who's been uh, cleansed. And then there's a summary that he preaches and gets rid of demons. Heaps has happened in this first chapter. And if you remember last week, we kind of said Mark's gospel is all about the urgency. The immediately it happens and it's happening and it's happening and it goes really, really fast and there's lots of action. And here we see that in chapter 1. Why? Because Jesus has authority to bring in this new kingdom. And we're going to see how do the, all of these stories, how do all of these moments as he kicks off his ministry, how do they point us to that? And you might see in your outline that I want to do it by three ways, looking at three aspects of his authority. Number one, he's a leader of people. Authority two, he's a leader by action. And number three, he's a leader by words. You see, Jesus is not just the announcer of the kingdom, but the inaugurator of the kingdom, the one who runs this kingdom. He is the boss of this kingdom. So let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at authority number one. He's the leader of people, and that's what we saw um, just for a moment with the kids. Let's uh, read verses 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. See, in this passage, right at the beginning, the kingdom's near, so Jesus demands an immediate response. He's looking for people to uh, learn and be discipled from him so that they can be fishers of men. The kingdom of God it seems, requires an urgent call and an absolute response. Right from the get-go, there is no ambiguity or sitting on the fence. Jesus is setting out to establish a community of believers and so it's no surprise that there's a call to follow. And these followers are going to be more than just followers. I will send you out to fish for people. It's to pull others in. There's a bit of ambiguity with that, that, that little phrase. Is Jesus saying, I'm going to teach you to be um, fishers of people or I'm going to send you out to? And it's kind of hard to know which way. And it's kind of Jesus does both if we look at what he does with them. He teaches them, he tells them how to go about it and then he sends them out. How do these fishermen respond? Well, twice... It happens twice, just to make the point, with two brothers. Immediately. At once, verse 18. Straight away, dropping everything, at once, they left their nets and followed him. 
We have no idea whether they've encountered Jesus at all or not. If, if they have, Mark wasn't concerned about us letting know about that because he was making the point, Jesus said, come, they go, full stop. Now, uh, we've been getting ready for holidays. Uh, the family's already, already gone. And when you get ready for holidays with kids, you have to tell them uh, time and time and time again, pack this, pack that, pack this, pack that. Yeah, you know what I'm talking, yep. <laughs> and when you do that, it works so smoothly. You, you need to go at 10 and they're all packed by 9. They did it immediately. It's fantastic. Nah, it's not how it happens at all. They, the family is trying to leave first thing in the morning and at uh, about half an hour after they were supposed to leave, one of my kids wanted me to do a whole bunch of downloading on her iPad and do that because when it was, she was told to do that the day before, didn't happen immediately is not what happened. That's not how you can approach Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get to it. I'm absolutely going to get to it. It's going to happen. And I know you said right now, but I will do it after the time that we have to go, Jesus. It's not like getting ready for holidays. It's drop everything kind of moment. They responded to the urgent call urgently. And while they were the unique disciples who go out and set out on the the mission that Jesus gives them, the pattern for responding to Jesus is set. And the cost is nothing to scoff at. They were fishermen. You can't go and be itinerant walking around the place with this guy and still be a fisherman when there's no water where a lot of the places you're going to. You can't continue to provide for your family when your main source of income you have no way of doing anymore. It's a stark contrast. You fish for fish so you can eat and provide for your family. I'm telling you, you need to fish for people because they need life that's more than just eating a piece of fish. So, what have these followers done? Is it the best decision of their life or is it a disaster? We see that play out in Mark's gospel. Jesus has here the ability to pull followers for this new kingdom. They're following him, but is he worth following? Or is he a bad boss with rubbish authority? And that's where we see authority two and authority three play out to give us clarity, I think. You see, the second point that I've got there for you is that Jesus' authority is by one who is a leader by action. Jesus sets out to establish his authority by his actions. There are two moments that kind of summarize this point, and then there are some specific examples. In verses 32 to 34, up there on the screen, we read, Jesus says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Likewise, in verses 38 to 39, a bit of a summary, we see Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. See, his actions and miracles are in the service of his preaching the kingdom, which we'll get back to in a moment. 
Can he bring in this new kingdom? Well, he heals many who are broken in this world, and it goes beyond this world because the enemy of his kingdom, he's already showing, well, his, his side he just casts aside. He just deals with. And we see that specifically in verse 23. In the story of verse 23, there's three moments specifically that we can look at. You can see them on the screen. There's an impure spirit, Simon's mother-in-law, and the man with leprosy. Have you got a Bible in front of you? You can follow on or you can just listen. What happens with this impure spirit? We see just then a man in the synagogue in verse 23 who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. This impure spirit knew he was from God. And what's really interesting as a side point, as we travel through Mark, who is it that describes who Jesus is, which is what we're our main point of this series? So often it's the adversaries of Jesus. They're in rebellion of Jesus, but they actually know who he is and they kind of declare it. In the story, it's a very clever way that Mark's put it together. And here we have Jesus dealing with them absolutely. Silence. Get out of him. It's just a complete mismatch. Jesus has absolute authority. He has the power and he can crush these spirits and so he does. There are many moments uh, in life where you see mismatches of uh, people versus other people, often on the sporting field, often uh, in debates. Have you ever watched a debate and seen one person just completely get squashed by another in their use of words? I've been on the receiving end of that once. I was completely out of my depth, didn't know what I was talking about on a topic I had no idea about, and I was crushed. It was a complete mismatch. That's what's going on here. Jesus has significant authority. There's no tussle. There's no big spiritual battle that takes place. Jesus just says, get out of him. Actually, I don't even want you to say anything. Stop talking. That's his authority. And it's not just a physical mission. Jesus is dealing with the spiritual realm. And this Jesus, who last week we established is the promised Messiah, the one, the anointed one who's going to come, he deals with the world as well. And so we have two specific moments of healing. These are great moments. Great moments of healing that we read in verse uh, 29 um, in Simon's mother-in-law and then in 40 with the man of leprosy. Let's have a look at them. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went in with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on him. 
The other story down in verse 40 is the man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, can you make me clean? Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. See, in these two, uh, two stories, Jesus shows, well, his compassion. And he shows that he actually can deal with the problems of this world. But it goes further than that. We saw last week that when the Messiah would come, he would come and be able to do miraculous things, and here they are. He claims to be the Messiah. He's bringing in the kingdom, and here he is healing people with consummate ease. We're going to be seeing this over and over again, the ease in which Jesus does things. In a few weeks' time, when Jack gives his first sermon, we're going to see all these moments of passages in which we'll get to see how easy Jesus deals with the world and with um, people who are sick and even death. He does it with ease. And as we look at these two uh, uh, moments, Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever, and so he goes to her and immediately heals her. He just takes her by the hand. There's not even words this time. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. I, uh, I read somewhere that, the, that the, someone uh, was, was commenting that this is an outrageous story and shows how horrendous Jesus is because he's just uh, healed the mother-in-law so that she can go back and feed him. Well, that's an interesting take on the story. But actually, the point is, is that she's well enough now that she can do what she normally does. It's as simple as that. That he was just being compassionate. Likewise, the man with leprosy you can sense the desperation in him, can't you? Mother-in-law was sick with a fever. She couldn't do anything. The man with leprosy, he's begging. You beg when you have leprosy in a, in a culture in which being ceremonially unclean means you can't belong to anyone, that you're isolated and on your own, that you can't be with God's people, you can't be part of, 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 of worship. You are unclean. Do you notice the interesting response of Jesus in verse 41? He was indignant. It's hard to figure out, actually, whether it's indignant or compassionate, which kind of is interesting. But I think we see he's indignant. I think if it's indignant, it's because what he's saying is it's not that he's angry at the, the, the guy who's got leprosy. He's like, he, Jesus has come to deal with impurity, to deal with what the problem is that we have. And when he sees it, that's what the indignant is that he's responding to. And so he's going to deal with it. Of course he'll heal him. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Once again, Jesus, his authority is easy. It's just done. And so the mother-in-law got up straight away. The man with leprosy immediately got up and was cleansed. Healing in full rest and full restoration is what Jesus is on about. 
physical and ceremonial purification. What brings isolation with God, now Jesus is showing, has, um, he has the authority to change that, to put it on a new direction. He declares what is unclean, clean. And what's extraordinary about that, no one can touch a person with leprosy, they are so unclean, and the one who comes down, who claims to have authority, says, I am willing, be clean. He reached out his hand and touched the man. He touched him. But he can't heal everyone. And that's because he didn't come to heal. He demonstrated his compassion, but his healing was not the main game. It's so far from the main game, it's just pointing towards. Jesus' healings, and he's dealing with the... uh, the spiritual forces is like a road sign. A road sign with compassion that a road sign doesn't have, if you like. You see, you don't go on holidays, so I'm going to drive to Robe tomorrow. The first sign that I see that says Robe, I'm not going to park my car under that sign, stop there and pull out a tent and have my holiday there. That would be a little bit odd. But when we focus over on the healings as if that's the main game, that's kind of what we're doing. Jesus is actually saying, I have the authority to bring in the new kingdom. And I can deal with this world, let me show you. And that's what his healings, that's what his, um, that's the place in in the gospel narrative, that's what they do. Uh, as a side point, don't let me don't hear from me uh, from me for a second to think that I don't think that there can be healings now and God can't do amazing things. I know of them. I, I've witnessed them in churches and things like that. But it's not the focus. It's not what we should expect. It's not as if that if it doesn't happen, there's not enough faith or something like that. That's just not the process. That's just not what the Bible ever claims for us to have the attitude of. Instead we see that these moments point towards our greatest healing, our bigger need, our being free from Satan and being free from our own well, problem. So we've got, he's got the authority to lead people. We see in his actions that he's someone who at least has the authority and the integrity. He's not a toothless boss, if you like. The third one is he's a leader by words. He has the priority of teaching. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby village so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. So that kind of makes a point of what I was saying about the role of dealing with the demons. Saying, I've come to preach, and just so you know, my preaching has authority. The one who comes who has authority rules over the spiritual realm. So I'll do that to point to that. See, his actions confirm and foreshadow they don't bring in the kingdom. And I reckon this makes me think that there's nothing worse than hypocrites and those who try and lead hypocritically. It's so frustrating. I once had a boss that seemed to live by the motto, do what I say, 
not what I do. Isn't that a frustrating one? I, I, you know, we, we have to fill out all these forms to keep accountable, and the only person in our staff, to, in our team that didn't was the boss. We have to make sure uh, that we, we keep all our ock health and safety things in line, and you know, the person who was worst at it was the boss. The person who, who one time the team had an issue with gossiping, and so we were all, you know, pulled over the coals and said, this is hopeless and inappropriate to find out the next day that the boss was gossiping behind us and how horrendous... So frustrating. If Jesus' teaching is hypocritical, we have a problem. But it's not. He's not like that. His authority is not hypocritical. He doesn't just say, follow me, and then everything he does, well, is like that boss. In verses 14 to 15, we established last week, the response is to repent and believe that we can trust in him. It's because he is one who is trustworthy. And so the priority of teaching is that he needs to teach us the need to, what is it to repent? What does it mean to turn around back to God? What does it mean to believe that is to have faith, to trust in him? What does that look like? And so he goes throughout on his way to the cross, explaining that as the kingdom's coming. So there will be no sense of confusion or hypocrisy Instead, the challenge to turn to him. And so the point is, words and actions go together. He is bringing in the kingdom and he's showing he has the authority as we see in verse 39. Interestingly, we see so often, don't know if you've ever noticed, that his healing acts just required words, his authority... Uh, by words, is actually when he acts, it's by his words. Be quiet. Come out of him. I am willing. Be clean. Jesus speaks and he is obeyed. What extraordinary authority he has. It's significant, but it's not the most significant. You see, there's one moment when he's teaching and he's uh, Actions come together to highlight his authority on the cross. In Mark 15, 44, 34, sorry, we read, And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here is one with authority whose actions put himself on the cross. And when he cries out, he is crying out that I am taking all of the people who need to follow me, I am taking all of their sin. God's wrath being poured out on him. His words at the greatest act where he sacrifices himself as a ransom for us point to what? type of leader he is. He's not a boss that sits in the office. He's a leader that does it all for those who follow him. He puts himself in the thick of it and takes all of our rejection of him on himself.
Why have you forsaken me? Because we have a problem and he wants to deal with it. That is the beginning of Jesus showing his authority in Mark's gospel. What do you think? Is he a bad boss or is one who truly has authority? Who is Jesus? Who is he? The question we're asking over and over again during this series. He's the Messiah, the chosen one to bring in the kingdom, and he has the authority to call people. His actions and words back it up completely. There is nothing, there is nothing that can contest his authority. He started to show that so abundantly. He is the one who says, repent and believe, and we can seriously ask the question, should I? He's not at all just talk with no, and or bravado. He is all sacrifice and taking our place. Is he worth following? If you don't know where you are with God. That is your question. It's the question to ask, do I think he is someone I should trust for all of my life? Or is he just rubbish and not worth ruling my life? I think we see today, and I think if you keep reading Mark's gospel, you see abundantly clear, here is someone who demands to rule over all of your life. And it's spectacular because it's not a ruling of a tyrant. It's a ruling of a loving God who wants us to be his children. Maybe today you might see that authority and need to trust in him. Maybe today what we need to do is to be encouraged by his absolute authority. You see, I think what we get out of this, and I find this um, heartwarming, this week was one of the things I found most helpful and encouraging, is that instead of thinking about Jesus as a tyrant who's going to rule over me, I think about Jesus who is the leader of my life who nothing can get past. How good's that? The one who's in charge will get it right and no one can take him down. There's great security and comfort in knowing that. If you choose to be your own boss, good luck having that approach. We try and fool ourselves until we all do at times, don't we? when we want to have control, when we want to have security, we put all these things in place and then yet sometimes it just gets all thrown in our face and never works out. But when we actually accept this authority, the security and comfort we can have is far beyond anything we can get with someone else. I think also if he's worth following... I think what we're seeing here is we don't have a little bit each way. We go, I am keen to follow Jesus and I am going to have that as a component of my life. I want, but I'm not all in. I'm going to have some things that I'm not going to fully give over to. That there are some things in my life that I can't let go of. Or there are, there are times when I'm not going to consider what Jesus wants. Whatever aspect of life that is. 
in your family life, in your work life, in your leisure activities, in your dealing with your uh, finances, whatever it is, there is that little moment where I go, mm, I'm not going to go all in. The call of the fisherman points us towards all in or nothing, I think. Well, how do you go all in as we wrap up? We embrace his authority, his way. And if you're a follower of Jesus, what you're really saying is, I have a lifetime this side of heaven, we're trying to work that out more and more. How do I go all in? What is it that I, how is it that I think? How is it that I uh, use and the body that God's given me, how is it that I relate to people? All of those aspects you're now trying to work out. And so you want to get to know Jesus so you can get to know what he wants. See, to go all in, to embrace his authority, is to want to understand his morality. It's want to understand his view of humanity, which is becoming more and more of an issue for us in our current society, isn't it? Going all in with his authority is to embrace everything that I have is actually from God and a blessing from him, and so I use it for his service. It means things that our society thinks are outdated don't get outdated if Jesus thinks they're important. Whether that means views on, uh, if that means views on homosexuality, to uh, uh, gender, to marriage, uh, to making ethical decisions. The view of just lying. Does lying matter? Whatever it is, it's all in or it's not in if Jesus is the one with authority. The time has come. Come, follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Help us to work out more and more what his authority is. Help us to work out more and more uh, how we live in light of his kingdom in which he rules. Thank you that he's not a horrible boss, but a loving king who wants, wants us to follow him. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.